The GovX Show is supported by Forrester, helping government organisations perform at their best. Visit forrester.com to learn more. Hi and welcome to another episode of the GovX Show. I'm Tim Coulthard, Community Director here at GovX Digital. And joining me today for a conversation around citizen experience is Kevin Gilbert, who is Facilitation Practice Lead at the Change Agency Domain 7. They do a lot of work with public sector organisations in helping them to run workshops and co-creation processes that incorporate the public's views and ideas into the design and execution of services. There's a huge amount of chat at the moment about CX, customer experience, citizen experience. And so understanding how to get the most from those co-creation pieces is vital. Kevin's an expert in that, so he's going to talk us through some of the practical ways to really get the most from that process. I'll be along at the end to share some more information around our involvement with Domain 7 at the recent conference and how you can watch the session they took part in. But until then, here's Kevin. So, Kevin, welcome to the GovX show. It's great to have you join us today for, a, for an interesting conversation around the work that you guys are doing at Domain 7. Of course. Thanks for having me, Tim. It's great to be here virtually with you. Yeah. I'm um, looking forward to our, our chat. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, and and the work you do, and some of the and some of the, we're, we're going to get into some of the aspects of, of co-design and co-creation. Um, it's something that I think is on on the lips of a lot of public sector organisations, but we really want to unpack what some of that meaning is and, and how to do it well and what the benefits can be. Uh, I know you do a lot of work with different public sector agencies. So really looking forward to getting into some of that. Before we dive into some of those practical how-to elements, just uh, maybe we could set the scene by finding out a bit more about you and Domain Seven. Uh, What's your, what's your role? What's your area of focus and expertise? And what are you kind of trying to achieve uh, within that? Yeah, absolutely, Tim. Thank you. So my role is facilitation practice lead with Domain 7. And that's a role that has really come about um, over the last number of years through our partnerships with, with clients, especially those in the public sector. As we're, we're a digital agency, roots in digital transformation and design. And we'd be creating these spaces on projects to, to help bring about change in these organizations, whether that's an improved website or digital experience. And the idea there is to help serve customers or citizens or members of the community, right? And so we'd undertake these projects but inevitably we'd start noticing a gap. Um, and the gap would be, uh, it's just us doing the thinking and implementing and working alongside the public sector. There's, there's clearly voices missing and those are the voices of, of the community. And so we, we wanted to start creating space to really hear from each other in the creative process instead of just going behind a curtain, delivering some work and dusting off our hands. And so these, these workshop sessions came about as a really natural response to that missing piece. And through it, we began realizing that the very act of creating that space is where a lot of the change happens. Um, because what happens is people start listening for the first time. <laughs> um, folks who work in government have the opportunity to really hear the stories from those their work is impacting. Those who are in the community get a chance to have their voice heard and to then hear conversely how decisions get made and to be part of a process that's making new things happen. And we, we began to see that those spaces of listening were so transformative that we really needed to create them on purpose, not just yeah. as uh, waypoints along the way uh, towards a destination of getting more digitally optimized. It's the act of listening itself that is, that is providing so much value. 
Okay, All right. So I'm starting to I'm starting to understand this. So when we're talking about this sort of terminology, whether we, whether you choose to call it co-creation, co-design, for you in the domain seven, what what does that actually mean? Because I sense that maybe people you could hazard a guess what it might mean, but in a meaningful sense, what does it entail? Yeah, thanks for that question, Tim. It's the way I have begun to look at co-creation is it's it's the act of participatory making or participatory design. It's it's really mixing the familiar elements from design thinking, but with more of a focus on relationships. That's where the co comes in. The co is we, it's us, it's together. And the creation is we're gonna be we're gonna be building something. So you get to pull on familiar processes for that 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 comes after the hyphen. Together we'll build, together we will design and create. And so we get to tap really effectively into the field of design and design thinking to, to pull on some familiar processes. So co-creation then is creating with intention and purpose opportunities for the collective involvement of others in a design process. And design process then is gonna go through these familiar, these familiar movements of how are we gonna identify the problem and how are we gonna explore the solution? And when we're doing both, we need the activity of going wide or diverging to listen and then of narrowing to choose. So we explore the problem space together by listening and doing research scans and workshops and sessions. And we converge on a new understanding of the problem. And then we diverge again in exploring possible solutions and we converge again on testable prototypes. So that's the design thinking double diamond. The difference is now we're doing it with people instead of just in a, in a sequestered annex somewhere with just yeah. the team. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, I suspect most of our audience can recognize examples of, of this being not even the co-creation piece, but, you know, a kind of, well, we'll do a consultation because we have to, because yeah. it, it seems like it's the right thing to do. We get that a lot in the UK in terms of like planning processes and, okay, well, we'll get some folks in a, in a drafty old hall and let them, let them put their hands up and ask some questions of the people at the front and then we'll carry on and do what we were going to do anyway. And I think what you're talking about is something far more meaningful where the whole process is embedded throughout. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting that you bring that up. I, when I talk about co-creation, one of the first things I tend to do is give a bit of a warning and a bit of permission to release people to say, you don't have to do co-creation if it doesn't fit. And I imagine uh, a two by two square, uh, the vertical axis says, we know the answer on top and below, we don't know the answer. And from left to right, it says people have a stake or people don't have a stake. And here's what I mean. If people don't have a stake, that is the community doesn't really care and you know the answer, you're okay to just go and make something. You're released. You are the expert and, and the folks don't really care. You don't need to posture about co-creation. Uh, subject matter experts in known best practice areas can implement things freely, especially if people aren't terribly invested. So go and make. Yeah. <laughs> if people don't have a stake and we do not know the answer, that's more of a space for like independent exploration, like scientific research and development. An individual, again, expert can go and seek out the answer without bothering the public too much. Eventually you might wanna share your findings, but again, if we don't know the answer and people don't have a stake, independent exploration. Let's say we do know the answer and people have a stake. They really care. The public is turned on about this. They are activated and you know the answer. This is a space 
for leading and educating. You can strike a posture of clear communication, great persuasion, policy and bullet points saying, here's what we're gonna do and why. And that's the default space that government tends to want to operate. Mm. And it tends to be what the community looks to government to do. Like lead us forward, yes, with our voice, but you tell us what to do. So the space down below then of we do not know the answer and the community has a stake. That's the opportunity for co-creation. When we're actually genuinely looking for new solutions that we haven't arrived at yet, that aren't secretly in a document we're trying to ship through, um, we don't know the answer. We're genuinely looking solution for new solutions. We want to involve the community. That's an opportunity for co-creation. That's great because that really helps people to understand it's not all or nothing. You, no. you pick your moments and you pick the opportunities when this is appropriate. Method. Yeah, because the risk, if you're trying to wedge in co-creation where it doesn't belong, you just end up fracturing trust more. People end up more frustrated and disillusioned with these tokenized efforts mm. of, of government to, yeah. to involve folks when there's really no intention of listening. You, you have this experience, or I have this experience even working with my kids. I say, okay, uh, who wants spaghetti for lunch uh, at school today? I'm packing your lunches. They'll say, oh, no, I don't want that. <laughs> I have to inevitably say, oh, you know what? Sometimes I ask a question because it's a friendlier way to mm. communicate. But what I meant is we're having spaghetti for lunch because that's what's available. Yeah. So you have to deal with it. But the act of asking a question is where we started to go wrong. If there was not a genuine openness to actually receiving input, it's better just to say, here's the deal. We're having spaghetti. And on a different day, we can say, what are we going to have for lunch today? Here's our constraints. Great, great. I love that. Really brings it home to, to the why and the when and, and the appropriateness of, of using this as a, as a method. And sometimes, yeah, you don't need it. You just, just crack on, use your knowledge, use your expertise and yeah. do what you do best. Yeah. Great. So when when it's done well, what are the real benefits that we can see in sort of public sector? You know, I could hazard a guess at some of them, but I'm keen to know from your experience working with different public sector organizations, what's it capable of delivering as an impact? Yeah, this is, a, this is a great question. Um, and I suspect that the spidey senses that you have will be will be spot on anyway, so we can compare lists here. Um, <laughs> one of the hoped for outcomes will be greater innovation, right? Uh, because if we're admitting that we don't know the answer yet, it means the problem is unsolved. So you get to have a posture of, of anticipation of newness. And, and that that is inevitably going to lead to a space of finding new ways of problem solving. That's innovation. So that, that's a benefit that could end up looking like a new product or service that hasn't existed before. Uh, so that's gonna result in an additional benefit of greater service to your community, um, solving their problems in a more effective way. A third benefit is gonna be increased community strength. Uh, the, the, the activity of creating a participatory environment where folks hear from each other and we're, we're blending those silos together, that's building into relationships. And most of us, many of us in communities aren't necessarily going anywhere. We live here, even folks who work for the government are residents. Mm. And so this investment in relationships is a strengthening of even neighborhood ties that can travel beyond a project. And so you're, you're creating healthier communities by the act of listening. And there's, there's all these fringe benefits that spill over. Like now we have the ability to listen better to each other. As, as colleagues in the hallways, because we've practiced the act of staying open, that carries over into how we engage with our families. We can listen better now, recognize opportunities for how to stay open towards innovation, how to stay open to other people's perspectives. And that has this benefit of when we get into disagreements with each other, with folks we don't see eye to eye with, 
we have the opportunity to, to ramp down that polarization that can exist in our communities because we've been practicing the ability to sense when there's difference and to choose empathy and come together for common ground and solution finding. And I, I suppose that you'd encounter this in many of the communities you're working with in the UK. We don't all see things the same way. So if we're building into each one of our projects, or at least when it matters, the posture of co-creation, which is going to be listening, you're going to get all those things. You're going to get greater innovation, greater customer service, strengthen community ties, the ability to listen, and the ability to cross chasms of, of viewpoints that we really need to build the muscle and build in, in crossing. Yeah. And do you think, um, this is probably an unfair question, but in terms of where we're at right now, do you think public sector organizations do a good job of this? Um, I suppose there's two parts to that. Do, do they pick their moments? Do they, do they appreciate when the co-creation piece is, is the right approach? And then when they deploy it, do they make a good fist of it? Or is, do we need to be more focused on this, doing more of it? What, what's your sense? I know, I know the world's a big place. There's lots of territories. There's lots of types of organization. But do you have a sort of you know, finger in the air sense of what it's like now? I like that you said finger in the air. I was just thinking of it's it's like asking about the weather is uh, I can give you a guess of what the weather's like outside my window and from what I can see from when you showed me yours. Um, but the the generalization about the weather uh, will shift again in just a few minutes. Um, it's it's one of those one of those just unpredictable forces. Um, so I'll, I'll speak into it a little bit, but just knowing how quickly this can shift. Um, on one hand, I'm really impressed with how um, public sector and how government organizations know their stuff and more than they let on. Like they know about user experience. Uh, they know about user testing. They know about involvement. They know about the IAP2 spectrum of public participation. They know about creating space to hear from folks. And it, it's sort of a dark horse. Um, like what industry knows better the act of participating with the community, then government. You've got this, you know this. And then paired especially with some of the pursuits that have been happening the past decade or more, uh, modeled by, by groups like gov.uk, like you, you're exploring standardization, you're exploring user-centric design, you know this. And then I overlay that on the reality that all of us are facing is our institutions are old. We've been here a while doing the same thing for a long time. And in a lot of these institutions arose from structures seeking control over established places, established colonies, established municipalities, where you're trying to impose order, you're trying to hold power tightly. Um, and that is such a contrast in methods. On one hand, the first viewpoint is, uh, we know how to do participatory design together and we do this rather organically. And then the other pattern is, we are built on top of institutions that are trying to impose power um, so I imagine these two circles, one says power and the other says people and co-creation invites us to be moving those together. So they're not just Venn diagrams, but they're on top of each other. Mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to share power with the people. And that is, it's a push against the instincts of a government that might be uh, tend, that might tend at times to, towards the more autocratic mm -hmm. and, and even push beyond democratic into true participatory collaborative stewardship of our communities so i think all the ingredients are here uh, for our institutions to work this way we're better than we know at it and we are more challenged than we know because all of the instincts for control are also baked into our same systems yeah that's a really interesting take on it um so let's let's 
assume that they've they've got over this this mindset and they're and they're ready they're ready to rock and roll they you know we want we want to have more co-design more co-creation i guess where to start how do we start getting into the practicalities of this uh clearly you know we we we're going to 20 minute conversation here we're not going to unpack the whole way of uh, your entire way of working methodology but what are some of those key aspects of co-creation how do we how do we go about making it happen getting started doing it more effectively i guess yeah. there's a lot there but lead me down the path and tell me how, how you you would sort of uh, arrange a government organization to get started on this that's great i love it so i think of of three things that we need uh, it's if we we've, we've already talked about the fourth which is the model, and I described the double diamond walking through that design process in relationship with others, we call, we call that the model. What's next then is gonna be the methods, the mindsets and the movement. Okay. So the methods in a way, they're easy enough. This is what I was referring to when I said, we're, we're good at this. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of us have experienced, uh, here's a town hall, here is a design sprint, here is a user interview, here is some group dialogue in the form of an open space forum. We have those methods and they're also really well documented. Uh, uh, a few minutes or hours doing some Googling, signing up for some training sessions yeah. can get people into the spaces where they can at least facilitate one session. Um, it's, that's the low hanging fruit. Um, there's amazing books and writers that are gonna get you set up with what to, what to do in setting up those sessions. One that comes to mind is called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. And what she talks about is just the, the quality of the space that you create as a host, that goes a long way. It's not just about getting into the mechanics of are you running the methods, but are you as, as a person and as a team really helping set up the tone for genuine involvement? So quickly we move then into that second M I mentioned of the mindsets. If, if we as practitioners are serious about stepping into co-creation, it's gonna ask for something different from us. Um, sometimes we come to work we got this bums and seats mentality of just shipping work, uh, running email, responding to requests, responding to instant messages. Co-creation isn't that. It requires a lot more from us. It requires presence. It requires empathy. It requires curiosity. It requires assertiveness. It requires self-awareness. And there's some inner work that really needs to happen if we're going to be stepping into co-creation. If, if we step up with the same mindsets that we show to work on other days uh, of just shipping effectively, we're, we're going we're gonna to miss the nuance needed. So the, the step into that, that space of mindset cultivation is, oh, it's a life's work, but it requires, mm -hmm. it's required of us. And then the, the last thing that I would bring up is, is what I call the movement. Um, when I say the movement... Uh, this is the shift that so many of our organizations are in. We have established ways and there is much animosity towards co-creation that's in the water. Um, I've, I've had conversations with folks who work in government where we explain what, what we want to do in terms of a design sprint. And let's say our sponsor is into it. Say your, your digital communications lead is into it. He's ready to bring the people together. Or she's ready to co collect the group. But she says, you know, my boss is worried about this. She thinks we're going to be wasting our time and, and says this is, he doesn't want this to just be all fun and games. Or a, a quote from, from somebody I spoke with in a different city said, I get it. Y'all are going to hold hands and sit in a circle and sing Kumbaya, but how are you going to get the work done? <laughs> and, and these are the knee-jerk responses yeah. of many, many folks who expect efficiency and linear production factory-style work out of human resources. We just wanna get the job done. Yeah. And so co-creation says, we are going to get the job done. 
we have different sets of values operating here and it requires a different way of working. And so the, 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 the movement we're participating in is one that holds up a hand to those, those forces to say, yes, I know you're used to work happening in a factory mindset. We offer an alternative that is going to change things. So an awareness of the movement, a cultivation of the mindsets, familiarity of the methods and the model is, is how you can get going. And I would always say, you can start with just your team. You can pick a moment on a project with two or three team members and practice a workshop. Yeah. Uh, you can reach out to one community member that you know and use them as a user testing audience. You can begin practicing this stuff in stealth mode off the side of your desk with just a little bit of commitment. It, that professional development you can do, that's free. You can, you, can, you can use the internet and just begin building those skills. And it's, it's sooner than it seems to begin practicing some of these methods, right. though it's true, the activity of like changing an organization to really become co-creative, that's a different animal. Yeah. But this bottoms up sort of grassroots force of innovation is, is how so much change comes about. So you might find yourself in a space of change enablement right now, wherever you sit. Yeah. Um, there's an aspect to this, I guess, particularly from the, you know the last year, and uh, how how is this pl playing out in in a potentially virtual environment by necessity? You know, we've we've had to close offices. You know, the the idea of getting people together into the room to run a workshop isn't always possible. You know, hopefully that's going to be on the table again soon, and you know, as we emerge blinking into the light post COVID, but. I guess for you, the challenge has been in the past years is how to make this happen in a digital or virtual environment. And I think for some organizations, you know, they're exploring their working model or is it going to be some sort of hybrid uh, approach? So there might still be some of these virtual challenges coming going forward and there might be, you know, you need the tools in your box to run it face-to-face -face or, you know, yeah. through a screen. How have you found that and what's changed and how, how can we sort of overcome some of the sort of obvious limitations of the digital environment? That's great. Uh, I, I get pulled in a few different directions with answering this question. Uh, so as, a, as I express an answer here, you'll hear a few paradoxes that I'm wrestling with. Mm. Um, I guess the first is from the moment COVID hit and governments around the world had to respond, I think they proved a nimbleness and an agility that we've never seen before in, in, in many lifetimes. Like we've never seen a global scale adaptation of government to an emergency like this. Um, and I think that what revealed to people is this sort of like um, matrix awakening moment to be like, oh, we can shift. Our, everything can shift. Our commutes can shift. Our work patterns can shift. Our policies can shift. And folks who were, had been told for years that they would never be able to say, have a work from home policy, um, have their own laptop, serve customers digitally. Suddenly that happened within two weeks. And like our firm has been in digital transformation for 25 years. These projects reach excuses and barriers that have been legitimate until now. Like we can't do digital transformation because X, Y, and Z. And then suddenly with the mighty efforts of IT departments everywhere, mm. the shift happened. And that's, it's mind blowing just to see how much was made possible in the face of this emergency response. And so digital transformation has been one of them where previously, folks would never even agree to have a meeting virtually. We'd have to fly. I was on a plane every week before last year to get to a space because, oh, 
We don't do virtual meetings. We need to be in person. That assumption has been busted. The carbon footprint is down from having people travel so much. And we have the opportunity to see each other face to face where previously, Tim, I'm not sure if we'd be even doing this podcast together. Yeah. Right. Right? And through this, there is a possibility of connection and listening to each other that has been generations in the making. I, I, I always... I find this funny and my my nine-year-old daughter has noticed this too. The plot points in so many movies and books that are in the fantasy genre, they revolve around the inability to communicate to people in real time from afar. Like even the main plot of Star Wars is that R2-D2 himself has to take the hologram of Leia physically to the intended recipient it's like if you could just facetime the whole movie would be done (laughs) yeah given given the other technology they have managed to create there's a there's an anachronism at the middle of that isn't there but uh, we'll we'll gloss over that (laughs) but it's been the same for us earthlings here right like we have the ability to communicate in real time and when we've shifted then design sprints and co-creation sessions and workshops online guess what I might be the underdog in this, but I think they're better now. Uh, Previously, you host a workshop in a physical space. Inevitably, you've got those 10 people at the back with their arms crossed. You got those five people over there who will never write anything down on their paper. These folks who are, there's two of them, they hold a whiteboard marker and they get the whiteboard. And the, the power is so unevenly distributed. But in a virtual space, each person at their own computers, they get to contribute their perspective they are within an environment where they feel psychologically safe. It's their own home. Yeah. You can create tools like Miro or use tools like Miro, like Housespace, like other collaborative whiteboarding tools that actually get the thoughts out of every single human's head onto a digitally stored record into a collective understanding. That wasn't possible in a physical workshop setting before. It was too unsafe and powers too unevenly distributed. So now with these sessions that, that we've been hosting, hearing from more people. It feels safer. We're covering more ground. We're traveling less. And I think the one weakness that I would, I would, I would encourage us to keep paying attention to is I'm not sure what this does for our relationships and for our own well-being. You know, we talk about Zoom fatigue. Yeah. And if we're, we've turned these sessions to be so effective now, then what has suffered is the banter that's in between, the warm-up at the beginning of the session, the coffee break, we're actually chatting with each other and getting to know each other's worlds. So as much as I said at the beginning, co-creation is about strengthening community ties. That's harder in the virtual setting unless you're yeah. really designing for it. Um, which I will admit, I don't think I've invested as much energy in exploring yet. I, I think in all of these digital formats, we're part way there, but there's still a lot to discover. Understanding what the long-term repercussions are of, of remote working, you know, a year's a significant piece of time, but it's not enough to necessarily tell the whole story, let all the implications yeah. play out. So I think across everything, every type of methodology, every type of project, that there's there's still learning to be done, right? And I think we're we're part way there. We've got to the thing we have to do is keep our eyes and ears open and spot these issues as they're emerging and not leave people to you know struggle on or you know, in a sense the machine can be too efficient and and, yeah. the, and the collateral is the human aspect yeah. of it. You know, just because we can doesn't mean we should. You know, yeah. I think everybody's kind of going through that. So something to keep an eye on. Um, I'm interested in sort of, I wanted to sort of tease out the the, the, the best tips, but then also the, the areas that can go wrong. And yeah. in, the way I'd written it down, I'd written it down the way things go wrong at the end. And why would anyone want to finish a podcast on the downside? <laughs> so let's flip it around. 
So in your experience, what are the what are the challenges and areas where these things can go astray? And, and, and that if you're going to be getting into the co-creation space, what do you need to look out for of sort of common pitfalls and issues that you've seen emerge? Oh, that's great. I love it. I think there's there's a handful, right? Um, one is if folks aren't bought in to the process as participants, wherever they fall in it, that's that's going to make it challenging. And sometimes the process itself can be what helps people buy in. So there's a, there's a saying, trust the process. And that means letting yourself be a participant in, in, in what is going to emerge, um, which is a tricky ask, especially if folks are inherently uh, disposed against these methods or think that they are. Um, a cynicism can do a lot to really derail an intent of collaboration. Um, so that's, that's something in the mix. And that can often be um, counteracted with really clear open communication before anything starts. Just making sure folks know why a method is being chosen, why their involvement matters, and what the hoped for outcomes are. The hoped for outcomes is a really key one too. I think it's good to be clear on what exactly is being created through the process and to make sure it is a right fit. That co-creation is indeed with that quadrant mm. I described. This yeah. is the moment for it. So what are we looking to build here? How will we know if we've been successful? Orienting your teams around your vision will be really important and making sure that that is shared. Um, if, you, if you go into a co-creative process believing you're going to get a completely completed, say, I don't know, let, let's give an example, a, a fully rewritten policy um, or a fully redesigned and launched website. Um, and that wasn't what the process was designed to do. It's going to make folks think that co-creation failed when in fact it might have been your scope was misaligned with what mm. you're trying to create. Um, co-creation is often trying to get you to a testable prototype so that then you can spark an effort to go and implement that thing on a fuller scale. Um, so alignment around outcomes is really key. And that, that involves next steps. What are you going to do with this prototype? What are you going to do with this new idea that emerges? Who's responsible for implementing it? Is there a budget for implementing it? Are we interested in exploring whether we should implement it afterwards? Um, otherwise, this is, this is where co-creation undermines itself. We say, all it ever does is generate ideas that don't get implemented. So solve that through the design. IDEO talks about co-creation or human-centered design having three phases of, um, what is it, inspiration, ideation, and implementation. So often, if we just stop with the inspiration and the ideation, we will get stuck feeling like, ah, oh, this never goes anywhere. Well, that's because we didn't bite off the next part. How do you want to do something about the ideas that emerge? Who's in charge of it? Are there resources? Are we serious about it? Um, and again, that can be started, that can be counteracted right from the very beginning, making sure you're picking it at the right spot, assembling the right team, establishing a clear vision, and committing to the outcomes as something worth, worth pursuing. Great, great. It's, it's good to hear that, that, you know, it's two sides of the same coin so often, isn't it? That the things that can go wrong, there's a solution to it. And, you know, yes. you've, you've just got to, you, you know what the pitfalls are. But yeah. getting it right is where the project really works and where it really succeeds. Um, and that whole understanding your your goals, being clear about the methodology, communication, those are all, I mean, in a sense, they underpin almost any kind of project methodology, don't they? And, and the, they're eternal yeah. truths. And you know, the same applies here, I guess. Well, that's been it's been super helpful to understand a bit more about how this all works. And, and I think a lot of organisations well, maybe, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a continuum here, isn't there? Some are deep into this stuff and some are still maybe paying the lip service rather than getting into the deeper, you know, the deeper reality of how to implement sort of co-creation 
methodology. But it's been great to cover some of this, hear about how it works, hear about how you can help support organizations doing this sort of stuff. I think we're going to see more of it. I think in a sense, what what's happened in the past year, whilst horrible in so many ways, has, has activated a part of our sort of community spirit and a, and a I know during the, the, the GovX conference a couple of weeks ago, so many organizations said that this kind of reinvigorated them. It's re reignited their passion. It's reconnected them with their community. Yeah. People understand what government is and does again. They understand yeah. what data means. There's all these sort of new, new thoughts emerging. So yeah. exciting times. And I think if we can harness some of this methodology to deliver this kind of customer centric thinking, customer centric design, we, we, you know, we could be sort of, you know, on the, on the dawn of an exciting new age of sort of public capability in a sense. Absolutely. I, I really believe that it's, it's a moment of coming home in many ways. Mm. Our folks have realized that here, here we are with each other. We've been here all along and we have what it takes to design our future together. And it's really mm. neat to see that happening, even in, yeah. in response to a really hard time, as you've said. Yeah, well, that feels like an inspiring message to, to wrap things up, um, a message of hope and a message that, that things can, can improve and that we can collaborate together to make it happen, which is what it's all about. So yeah. it's been really great having a conversation with you, Kevin. Uh, absolute pleasure to hear what you've got going on, how you're working. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Tim, for having me. It's great to connect with you as well. I hope the rest of your day goes well. You too. Cheers. See you later. Thanks again to Kevin for joining me for that conversation. I'm sure you'll agree loads of practical takeaways on how to run those co-creation processes and workshops. It's vital that we build in the views of our citizens into the design of public services. And Kevin's got loads of useful tips there on how you can run that process smoothly. As I mentioned, uh, Domain7 and Kevin took part in the conference session, How to Build a Better Citizen Experience. Good news is that's now available on demand to view. All you have to do is head to the uh, link in the show notes to sign up to watch free at your convenience. Tons more practical takeaways from other public sector leaders there as well. So I highly urge you to have a look at that. We've also got a bunch of practical resources that Domain7 have produced around how to run workshops, uh, some how-to guides and top tips. So I'll put some links to those in the show notes as well. Check those out and get involved and get your processes up and running with that citizen engagement. That's all for us for now. Uh, we'll be along soon with another conversation with a public sector change maker. But until then, goodbye. <laughs>